Welcome to the Supply Chain Pioneers Podcast, where we highlight industry leaders on the forefront of innovation and technology in planning, procurement, and logistics. Hosted by your supply chain pro to know, Ulf Venn. My name is Seth Atayke. There was a moment in time where I asked myself, for what reason I'm successful in a field that I never learned. Once rose a problem on your desk, and then it's up to you to segregate the big problem into small portions and resolve each one of them individually. Whenever I can support the supply chain, it's for the good of our company and so good for my job. Looking on the recent years with all these situations that severely affected the supply chain, it's important that supply chain organization and the corporate security organization join forces. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Supply Chain Pioneers. And with me today, I have Sasha Teifke. Hi, Sasha. How are you? Hi, Ulf. Thanks. I'm fine. How about you? I'm good as well. Again, beautiful weather here today, and it's a good time to talk about risk, business continuity, and supply chain, which is what we're going to do today. So right. let's start maybe with a quick introduction from your side so people know who you are. All right. Yeah, my name is Sasha Teifke. I'm in the mid-40s. My career in, in uh, security started in the early 2000s. After I started the career as an electronics engineer, I started with physical security installations, and later I became the first guy in the corporate security environment and transitioned to this field of expertise, coming from a technical perspective, but I'm now responsible for topics of physical and personal security, executive protection, travel expert risk management, and uh, incident emergency and crisis management. As a business continuity expert, security expert, person who really is good in managing crises, what kept your passion going over the years? Because that can be a very exhausting job, right? Well, that, that's a good question that I asked myself also. There was a moment in time when I, where I asked myself, for what reason I'm quite successful in a field that I never learned from the from the bottom up. And I saw some similarities in my early career moments, which was in the first years after I started my career as an electronics engineer, I was repairing heat treatment machines. And if you know these machines, are they are they're very big. You have about 12 meters of wiring closet. And your colleague calls you and says, oh, damn, the machine is not working anymore. And now it's up to you to avoid a, a severe damage to the material, which is already in a late stage of the production. And so you need to immediately be able to make a big problem and se segregate it into its small portions so that you exactly open this wiring closet where the problem may most likely be. And I think growing up with this expertise so that you need to, to quickly dive into a troubleshooting process of repairing the machine is quite similar to, to troubleshooting of a severe incident or a, a crisis situation. So someone throws a problem on your desk that you may or may not be aware of. And then it's up to you to find into the process to segregate the big problem into small portions and resolve each one of them individually. You may have drawbacks, you may have uh, steps forward, but in the end, you will succeed. And that's maybe 
something that keeps my passion up because I had quite some fun when I did this in the early career stage repairing heat treatment machines. And I still feel the same passion and, and maybe fun is not the right way because if people are in a, in a stress, you, it's not the same way of fun, but obviously um, the feeling that you make a difference to someone's individual situation gives you something back. And we will today talk a lot about crisis management and how to cope with a crisis. But before we start that, let's talk a little bit about your view as a BCM and security expert on supply chain management as, as it is today. So how do you see supply chain management? Well, from my perspective, the point is the supply chain runs the business. It's all about receiving raw material, making profitable products out of it and selling them to the customer. So no material comes in. If your factory is unable to deal with the internal supply chain and, and to get the final products out to the customer, then my own job is jeopardized. So my point of this is quite opportunistic. So whenever I can support the supply chain to make sure that our business is running well, it's for the good of our company and so good for my job. And I feel this is a vital process for every manufacturing company. And looking on the recent years with all these situations that severely affected the supply chain and other aspects of business, like the business travel. I think it's important that, that the supply chain organization of organizations and the corporate security organization join forces to get some awareness about each other. I'm not a supply chain specialist, so I, I, I rely on the expertise of my colleagues. And on the other hand, I would like to provide tailor-made support wherever they need, wherever I can be part of a problem that's affecting their business. I'm happy to do so. Now we talk about this because... Supply chains are now more focused on managing risks and disruption than ever because of obviously what happened in the last few years. And you, as an expert in that, you have a lot of ideas on how to manage a crisis where others just start, right? Do you feel there is enough exchange happening? And I don't only mean your own company, but really if I look at conferences or a LinkedIn exchange or other thought leadership platforms, how do you see the, uh, the exchange between all of these players? Looking back some years and compared to now, I would say that the, the exchange gets better and better with every year, driven by exactly those situations that we have seen in, in recent years. And that's important because without exchange, you have the silo mentality. And that's what, what happens happened years ago when I approached the colleagues from the supply chain organization after we received information about a severe global incident. And we asked them, are you being affected? Is there anything where we should join forces to overcome the situation? It, it wasn't quite successful at this time. But nowadays, we have a deep mutual understanding that the, these ages of silo mentality are over. That's the, the view from, from my business perspective. And I see similar movements in all these conferences. Thing on LinkedIn, there are also some guys who are posting supply chain related stuff into the security community. So I think this interface is improving currently and in the past few years. I am happy to hear that there's somebody out there talking about supply chain on LinkedIn. 
So you are an expert in crisis management. I can proudly say that because I, I have heard about some stories already. So for you as a, as a true expert, what are really the most important elements of a good business continuity plan to prepare for a crisis? I think the first thing is if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So you, you cannot only start preparing yourself at the moment when the bad things happen. You need to have a certain understanding of your, of your business and try to understand where it hurts. With this information, you need to identify the, the key stakeholders in the company and, and work on a, on a special organization that will start working once these bad things happen. Another thing is that you need to be aware that you will not be able to, to prepare everything. Because it's Murphy's law. Whatever can go wrong will go wrong. And the chances are that you spend time in analyzing the very last detail of your processes, of your, of your value chain. But then something different happens and you have invested uh, potentially the time on the, on the wrong end of the process. Try to identify the, the key issues and then work on an organization that is able to cope with a variety of things, focus on the process and try not to have a bunch of checklists that will only help you in cases that are most likely not willing to happen exactly in the way that you consider them. Okay, so now we have planned for a crisis, but how do we make sure that based on the process, everything is going according to plan when then really a crisis happens and chaos breaks out? Exercise, exercise, exercise. A good crisis management consists out of 99.99% or even more of exercises to be able to deal with these 0.001% of crisis. That's the key, that you have a, a team of people that knows what to do when you have to do it. Exercise is the key. Obviously, there are a lot of maintenance things, that tasks that you should do along that so keep your data up to date that when you need guys you have the right phone number track changes in the organization make sure that you train them to the process and so on but i think this is given this is basic but exercise helps to have a, a solid group of people who understand the methodology who understand the role then have a good crisis manager because a good crisis manager will make sure that even with, with the worst crisis management team, you will resolve the, the crisis. No, that was a little bit of a joke, but yeah. um, <laughs> um, that's the point, exercise. That's good. Then I have a follow-up question on that. A very simple one. How should you exercise? Because I've never seen anybody in supply chain do preparations for a crisis. Well, it depends. Let's focus on two examples of what you can do. The one thing is, if you focus on process and the methodology, you, you can take any scenario that may not even have the slightest thing to do with your business. You can say you are on Starship or whatever, and the Starship has a, a breakdown. And the abstractness of the scenario will lead to the point that the team focuses on the role that they have been given to do the, the scenario. They will focus on process and methodology and learn all about it to overcome a scenario. That's one common thing that you can see if, if you go to the market and, and you do the, the standard uh, trainings that you can purchase 
uh, on the market. And then you should do them. They are quite good. That's something if you want to make sure that you have a, a solid foundation of, of price management experts who understand it. The second way you can do is if you have a scenario that's very likely to happen for you and you want to exercise your detailed procedures, then obviously you need some scenarios that trigger these procedures so that you can simulate exactly the use of those procedures. And ne next to these two major exercise types for general training, obviously it, it can be useful to make alerting trainings to see how many pick up the receiver if you call them at three o'clock in the night. You can also do this during daytime to keep the good mood in the company. You may also play small incident-based scenarios just to, to have these kind of nagging uh, on the organization to make sure, yeah, we're still here because uh, one good problem of crisis management is that by, by nature, and you should not have a crisis every day, this should be the exception. And so to keep the attention and the awareness about this uh, process high, it's very useful to make sure that you yeah, keep the attention high, that you nag people and make sure you're still there. The process is still there. I have here a suggestion, and this is there's a board game called Starship Unity that is rather new on the market. Mm -hmm. And this is exactly about a spaceship and then people working together to overcome several crises one after the other. And maybe that can be helpful for somebody out there to try out. It's a fun board game and it doesn't use anything but your household. So it's a very innovative I, approach. I've read about it, but I didn't realize that it's already released. So thanks for the tip. I will go after it. It's good to play with kids for sure as well. Now we have talked about planning for a crisis and then making sure the process works and training. But obviously, to make sure the process is communicated, you need frameworks. So how often do you actually update your crisis management frameworks? and security frameworks? And how do you make sure it's really communicated to everybody, right? Because again, it's not something that happens every day. Usually the, the minimum cycle of updates that we have is every three years. That's the usual release cycle, but we tend to do minor updates every year. Mm -hmm. But we try to keep the policy framework stable. So it doesn't make sense looking on the exercise and what I mentioned earlier, the change should not be for the change sake, but mainly improve these things that you figure out during the exercise. With every exercise, we figure out room for improvement. And these comparable low portions are what we, what we update to the framework. If you do major updates, you then need to retrain the whole organization. You need to re-exercise and so on and so on. So yeah, minor updates as often as required, usually annually, major updates only if necessary to keep the process stable. And any tips on, on making sure this communicated? Are you communicating this as a newsflash in the intranet or is it going directly to business owners? No, it's communicated, targeted to, to exactly those who are affected by it. Mm -hmm. Well, this is nothing where every one person in the company has a, has a stake and job in it. So we focus exactly on a target group of involved people. And we do this using our regional organization, using direct contact training sessions that we provide the usual bunch. A key part of your work is to actually avoid getting into a crisis. 
through early risk assessment and then implementing preventive measures. And there are a lot of those in the area of security and business continuity. So can you talk a little bit about your approach on risk assessment and not exactly on what are the preventive measures, but more on what is the thought behind implementing preventive measures? Sure, sure. Well, the first thing is obviously starting with risk assessment. We have a, a risk catalog and we assess the risks based on, on our sites and also with the global view of the risk category owners. So the, the risk expert at corporate level. This is the first portion. So if we then identify risks, uh, there is a usual risk treatment. Can we avoid the risk? Can we distribute the risk? All these typical, can we, can we lower the impact or mitigate against the risk? And this needs to be done based on risk acceptance thresholds, based on financial constraints or financial evaluation. Does it make sense to invest that to take care about this? This is the general approach. I think this is nothing extraordinary. But one important thing is also risk monitoring. So like now you know that a hurricane in this area of the world may be a huge problem for you. Obviously, it then makes sense to keep an eye on these hurricanes. And so we operate a 24-7 group security situation center where we use technology that report directly to the cell phone of the crisis management duty if anything happens that may have an impact on our business overall, the supply chain, travelers, our locations, then we start. Hurricanes are, as an example, quite slow. So they take some time to reach their destination, or in this case, maybe our assets. And so we start early with a, with a monitoring process with our America's teams so that they start more the reactive measures to make sure that our impact is, is reduced as good as possible. Yeah, that's the, the preventive, the monitoring, the reactive side of the, of the things. And now we monitored it and maybe something happens. You, in your central role with your team, are working together with people who might have not ever been in a situation like this before, right? For example, travelers or the hurricane comes and it's the first time that they see that. How do you make sure that people know to react and stay calm while being somewhere completely different? Well, we anticipate that not every person in our company who may have to take a role in such a situation is a, a professional. We are in a, in a business branch where we usually have to work with semi-professionals. They are part-time security roles where they work. They may have, a, a, they may be a full-time HR manager, a EHS manager, or a facility manager, quality manager. And so only part of their job is being a security manager, which is absolutely okay from an economical point of view. So that's the reason why we have this approach where we have central team who is 24-7 available and is qualified to be the crisis manager on duty. And our role is to support those guys, provide coaching and support through the situation. That's the answer to the point, what are you doing if it happens? Obviously, in advance, we try to provide training. But looking at all the fluctuation, you never, you never know if everybody is on top of what he or she should be. And so this is a, is a good approach that we provide uh, support and we don't leave them alone. 
obviously they they are standing in the fire they are close to the problem our power is limited but usually just knowing that there is someone there who is a trained crisis manager and, and gives guidance and orientation and support is a good approach and on top we have our regional teams who will also support in the in the time zone they may travel to the situation if that's required and so this is the two-tier approach supply chains need something like this as well because a lot of people face a situation for the first time don't know what to do especially when you're a young procurement manager and your supplier burns down or is flooded that might be a problem so i think this is something that hopefully we will see extend into the supply chain world going to supply chain and now flipping again to the preventive measures because we we just talked about implementing them and that you essentially use a mixture of preventive measures and monitoring but especially preventive measures are often overlooked in supply chain management these days because it's very hard to convince people to invest in something that might happen the question is how are security professionals and business continuity professionals able to achieve that there is a shift in there's a need in investing in preventive measures. And I don't mean only the big ones, right? I mean, even if you look at most plants are card assessed only, right? So that nobody can go in. And that's all that's also an investment. So how is it that there's such a focus on preventive measures in this area, whereas in supply chain it's it's neither here or there right now? But it's a typical point of the prevention paradox, and you only get to know the benefit of your insurance once you have a, a case, right? I think that we, we suffer from the same problem in, in security. You always have to fight to make people understand that prevention is uh, of vital importance. Obviously, it, it helps to understand the risk. So the risk, before you go to prevention, you really, you really need to understand what kind of risks are you facing so that you invest where it matters. That's, that's the key point. But for those risks, the way where you have a, a certain likelihood, the impact that matters, then you should really fight uh, to, to explain it. And that takes some, some time to convince the decision makers. But if you make it visible, like showing like, look, this is the impact and that's the likelihood, the follow-up impact is even worse. Like that, what we see in the first uh, minutes after the incident. Hopefully, the the, the business will um, support the idea. And otherwise, it's, it's risk acceptance. By the way, also one way to deal with, with identified risks. Mm-hmm. And then that's okay. The business is willing to accept. But then it should be a conscious decision to say, okay, if we lose this asset, then it's, it's fine. The business can take this decision. It's always important. And, and that's the point especially if you start, if, if this way of thinking is new to your uh, role, then it's important to fight and to make sure that you exactly come to the point that the decision maker says, I am going to accept this risk. It should not be left in the room like, okay, we talked about it, and uh, but we are shy to say it's risk acceptance. There should be a, a clear statement on that and then it's fine. But the mm-hmm. fight is as long as you're aware, right, and you accept the risk consciously, I think everything is fine, but it's it's tough to make this call. So that's it for, for the hard-hitting questions. I have another question, and that is, I know you play bass in a band, as some have, might have seen I do as well. 
And what similarities do you see between a band and working in security? That's more on, on my role here in the company. Well, the bass player is usually a support function. You're playing the rhythm and you're not the lead instrument. And comparing supply chain and security and uh, the band and the bass player, I think it's a similar thing. And the supply chain is representing the business, the value chain, making sure incoming goods, outgoing products, uh, money flowing back as, a, as revenue. Security supports all of the, the business to make sure that profit is protected, that all these hazards, the security hazards, the security risks are managed in a good way to reduce the impact. In a band, the bass player is supporting all the other musicians to get a good groove and to make sure to, uh, to protect the integrity of the of the groove and the, the rhythm. Obviously, we are the, the bass player is usually supported by other rhythm instruments, percussion, uh, the, the drums, like we are with compliance and other important support functions that, that team up with us from time to time. That would be my take on that question. I totally agree. This is very good. How is it when you see yourself being in a central role versus people that are on ground? Is there also a take on music that you can can do maybe? Is it again the bass player or are you then, is there another dynamic happening? Well, in this case, I would focus on another aspect of bass play. Namely, I would not go that far to say that the beauty is giving the rhythm for the business. That's not the case. There it's more the support function of the bass that I would put in the front line. If you're talking about the role, when we talk about the central team and the decentralized units, I would say it's, it's really the rhythm. What I can provide them is a rhythm, an instruction on the measures that they should keep. They can obviously make their music without us, but with us, it sounds way better. And they can rely, they can lay back and trust in the rhythm that the bass player will keep it and, and provide them a solid pattern that they can groove to. And every once in a while, once a crisis is successfully managed, a bass solo is the way to go. <laughs> to show the positive outcome of a well-taken crisis. Yeah. No, this is very good. Sasha, thank you so much for being here. I think we all learned a lot. This was great. So thank you once again. Thank you as well. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure for me as well. Perfect. And with that, we say bye-bye. Bye. This was Supply Chain Pioneers. Thanks for watching, listening, or however you are enjoying this podcast. You can find Supply Chain Pioneers on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all other major podcast players, as well as on YouTube at Ulf Talk Supply Chain. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment. See you next time.